Good morning. My name is Stuart Davidson. I'm the pastor here at Eastern Shore Baptist Church. Thank you for tuning in to today's podcast. You can learn more about our church by visiting our website, www.myesbc.net. Of course, if you would like to visit us on a Sunday morning, you'll see that we have life group classes or Sunday school classes that start at 9 a.m. And our service starts every Sunday at 1010 a.m. Come by and see us. God bless you. And I hope that you are motivated to look more like Jesus through today's podcast. Raise your hand if you remember uh, these businesses. How many of you remember Blockbuster? Blockbuster? Blockbuster was awesome. It was a great place. Um, let's see. What about Circuit City? Remember Circuit City? Y'all miss Circuit City? I actually miss Circuit City. Do y'all remember when Circuit City, it was the conveyor belt, those conveyor belt days where you'd go in, you pull a ticket, you walk up to the counter. That was a very efficient way of doing business back in those days, right? Uh, what about Radio Shack? Remember just around the corner, we had uh, a Radio Shack that was here. I would I'd go there from time to time and buy a cable or two. And I actually, uh, I remember Radio Shack having speakers and, you know, big kind of big speakers. And they sold RCA televisions. I remember buying an RCA television set at Radio Shack. Okay. Um, now, there was a place in Montgomery where I was growing up as a kid that uh, my mom and dad would always take me and my brother to, and they produced these big old catalogs, and they had great toy catalogs, and I would read through those during Christmas time. Do y'all remember a, a store called Service Merchandise? Anybody remember Service Merchandise? Again, another very efficient way of doing business. I can't imagine that it went out of business, right? Um, there were all kinds of other businesses too, like there was Movie Gallery, um, there was uh, Sears actually. Remember, of course, we all remember Sears. Uh, oddly enough, uh, Sears closed and yet it's still open here. We were just behind the times, I guess. Did they tell the people at Sears that they're actually closed? I'm worried about those people. They're just still showing up to work. Uh, what, what's the one thing that those, that those businesses have in common now? Go ahead, you can answer. What's that? They're gone. Yeah, I heard gone, I heard closed, I heard they're out of business. At one point, however, hello? I wonder, <laughs> somebody's feeling guilty. Okay, uh, at one point, however, those businesses were all incredibly profitable. I mean, like making to the tune of potentially hundreds of millions of dollars to even billions of dollars. And yet they hit a point in their business when instead of on the incline, they went on the decline. Now, economists call this point, this one point, the tipping point, the tipping point. It's where they tip from being profitable to losing money. And they began a decline. It's very rare, actually, when you see a company hit a tipping point that they're able to regain the fortune or do better than what they did in the past. Very few examples of that exist. I was watching some of the local news, and I know the elections are beginning to really uh, sort of percolate. I mean, you're, you're beginning to see debates, and you're beginning to see people saying, well, I'm running for president, I'm running for president. We've got a lot of people running for president, actually. And, and we begin to see this. And I remember uh, uh, one of the headlines that came across uh, the, the crawl. It was one of these openings uh, for potential, I, I think it's for one of these debates. And it said this, it said this in a question, is America at the tipping point? Is America at the tipping point? 
Are our best days behind us or are they in front of us? Are we right there where maybe our incline or our profit margin, those things are going to start going down instead of going up? Are we at the tipping point is our country? Well, this morning I want to turn your attention to Luke chapter 15. We're going to jump right into Scripture, uh, verses 11 through 24. And again, as introduced earlier, this is the story of the prodigal son. By the way, we are all prodigal sons. We are all prodigal sons, all prodigal daughters. All of us have been blessed. We've all run away from God. And yet God continues to run after us, to pull us back, to be closer to him. So when I read this parable to you that's straight from Jesus, we should really identify with it on a sort of visceral level, on a human level. We should all understand what's being discussed here. But I want to take the story of the prodigal son and compare it to our country. And I believe there are some really unique and beautiful comparisons to where this boy went and to how he came back to God and to where we are right now as a society. And so let's just jump into Scripture today, Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 24, reading this morning from the English Standard Version. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me my share of the property that is coming to me. Which, by the way, I think we all understand what that statement means. If I were to go to my father and say, Dad, I want my inheritance. What I'm really saying is, I wish I could just advance your death. I wish you would just go ahead and die so that I could have the money. By the way, this is the younger son, not the older son. The younger son is not entitled to hardly any inheritance at all. All the inheritance, at least in ancient Jewish days, would be going to the older son. And so we have a son really speaking Uh, some pretty unkind things here to his father. And really, he's speaking out of place. So, look at what the father does. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into the far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. We're going to be talking about what it means to be reckless. Verse 14, And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed his pigs. And he was going to be fed with the pods the pigs ate, and yet no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants had more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe. And put it on him, and put a ring on his hand, and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this son was dead and is alive again, and he was lost, and now he is found. And they began to celebrate. This morning, I want to give you four really quick points about a father's sadness and a son's sedition, a son's act of treason against his own father, and taken from verse 11 and 12, we have a nation's abundance. We have a nation's abundance. Here we have the story of a young man, the youngest of two brothers. He asks his father for his share of the inheritance, and his father, obviously a very wealthy man, complies to the request of the youngest son and gives him this unbelievable blessing, a staggering fortune that he gives to him. 
And so what did the son do to earn the blessing? He did nothing. He did nothing to earn it. It was given to him. The father didn't owe the youngest son anything. He owed him nothing. Rather, it was the goodwill and the good nature of the father that blessed his son. And friends, I believe that there is a direct correlation between this son and our country. A direct correlation between this son and our country. Our country is also young We are a young nation. Our nation is a mere 242 years old. And when you consider that with some of the other civilizations around the world, for instance, China. China has has civilization dating back some 8,000 years. We are a young nation. And even though America is young, America is uniquely blessed. And what have we done to earn that blessing? I believe that America is blessed by the good nature and the goodwill of the Almighty Father and that through the great sacrifice and obedience that we have lived in for so many years, we have lived under the light of God. America is the benchmark for all other civilizations and all other nations currently, right now, all other nations with all of our problems, all other nations are literally running to catch up with us. We are blessed, amen? So let's talk for just a moment about the blessings that God has given us. When you think about the son and the staggering blessings that he received, what blessings am I talking about here in our country? I would say that there's no other nation on planet earth that has been blessed more by God than the United States of America. It's astounding when you think about the riches that this country has to offer. The land that we have, it's a large landmass. One of the largest countries in the world. We have abundant natural resources. We have extensive woodlands with lumber, which we build. We have topsoil in which crops flourish, capable of supporting large populations of people. Some 320 million people live here in the United States of America. We've got great stone, which by the way is a testimony. If you go to Washington, D.C., you will see stone monuments, marble monuments, beautiful edifices that all tell the history of our nation. The climate Our climate is amazing. It varies from place to place, all sections of our country. There's not one section of the United States of America that is not livable. You can live anywhere in this country. From the very bottom of Miami, Florida, the very tip top of Fairbanks, Alaska, and everywhere in between, you have people living in the United States. Rainfall is sufficient. Rivers are everywhere. Ponds, lakes, water, people, products, oil, natural gas, coal have been discovered here on our country. We have more modern, modern fuels like uranium and geothermal. They are, all those things abound as well. And I haven't even gotten to the scenery. Friends, do you know that you live in one of the most beautiful places on God's green earth right here in grand old Jubilee City, Daphne, Alabama? Did you realize this? I, I was speaking to someone from Birmingham, Alabama yesterday. She's a dear friend, a childhood friend. And she said, oh, Stuart, you are so lucky. Why is that? Because you live here. I would do anything to live where you live. Friend, the moment that your head raises on your pillow from Fairhope to Spanish Fort, you are a blessed individual. 
blessed. Our nation is blessed economically. The United States is largest, one of the largest economies in the world. And, and to be honest with you, we live as practical queens and kings in comparison to the rest of the world. The average income for, America, for Americans is $45,000, and that's actually more because that statistic is old. It's about $5,000 more than the established countries in Europe. Just look at the average monthly wage for Americans, which is about $4,537. And that, friends, is number one in the world. Number one. Our nation is blessed in resources. As I drive home today, I'm going to pass probably six or seven farms. Six or seven farms that are capable of producing all types of crops that are sent all over the world. As I travel home today, I'm going to travel right by, I think, two farmer's markets where I can go to almost 24 hours a day and buy fresh produce, drinks, juice, meat. Another way that our country has been blessed is through our legal system. Our legal system has a foundation laid in the concrete of God's word. Our legal system is based on the Bible. And anybody that tells you otherwise is lying. Our country is founded on God's word. The architecture of the Supreme Court building in Washington, D.C. depicts the Ten Commandments given to Moses. The law was meant to be for all people. The law would treat all people equally and fairly. It's on this Judeo-Christian law that the rest of, a, of the American law is built and structured. One of my great friends, Adam Gober, who's an attorney in our church, I asked him to comment about the influence of the Bible on our legal system. And this is, this is what Adam said. This is a quote. He said, Christianity was an essential element in the founding and design of our nation's government, including the scope and limitations of the government's power. The Constitution and Bill of Rights were designed to clearly define and limit the government's power over personal liberties. The First Amendment states Congress shall pass no law. The restriction on government's power is the central idea of the First Amendment. Noah Webster wrote, The Christian religion is the source of all genuine freedom in government. The founding fathers recognized that we are only free if we are free in Christ and the government must be designed to allow that freedom to exist. Is that not a powerful statement? Thomas Jefferson wrote, I am a Christian only in the sense in which he wished anyone to be sincerely attached to his doctrine in preference to all others. Thomas Jefferson was a Bible man. The fathers of our country wished for each American to follow Christ and their Christian freedom to be their, to be their American freedom. They wished for their people to turn to Christ for freedom and salvation rather than turning to the government. And friends, I could go on and on. And I think we all see the point that's being made here. America is blessed. We are young, blessed in resources, rich beyond measure, a diverse people hailing from all over the globe, united one flag, and everyone is wanting to be a part of what we have taken for granted in many cases. They want it. In Psalm 33, verse 12, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he chose for his inheritance. Friend, I, I hope you realize how blessed you are, how blessed we are. So we have a nation's abundance. And then verse 13, we come to a nation's abuse. 
verse 13, a nation's abuse. So the son takes the blessings of his father and in a very tragic way makes a horrible error in judgment. Verse 13 tells us that once the blessing was received, the son departs from his father. He leaves his father's home. He leaves his father's security. He leaves his father's prosperity. He strikes out on his own because he thinks that he is wiser, that he knows better, that his father is too old school, that his father is not with the times. And so he sets out and charts his own course. The scripture tells us that the son takes his blessing and he squanders it on reckless living. Have you ever wondered what it meant in the Bible and Scripture when it, when it talks about reckless living? In what ways was this, or how can we define what reckless living is? First, reckless living meant that his son could do anything desired without having to face any of the consequences of his actions. So when the son went and spent his time living recklessly, I'm going to do this and I won't have to face a consequence for it later. He believed that he was the captain of his own ship, that he was number one in his own eyes and he answered to no one but himself. Essentially, essentially for a very short time, this young man with all of his blessings, he became God. God with a little g, not God with a big g. Secondly, reckless living means that the boy lived without boundaries. There were no boundaries. There were no boundaries on his spending. There were no boundaries on his words, thoughts, or actions. There were no boundaries on his body. The boy entered the city and filled his body with all types of corruption. He drank and he experimented. There were no limits to his sexual promiscuity. In reckless living, this boy given himself, he had multiple partners in just a few short days. Third, reckless living means that he devised his own truth. When the son departed from the father and he began to live recklessly, he thought to himself, this is a great idea. This is what I'm going to do and this is going to be awesome. By the way, how many of us have made that mistake, especially in our youth? Oh my goodness, I have. I thought it was a great idea the first time I hit 100 miles an hour in a car. Oh man, that was a fantastic idea. We have a lot of ideas, especially in our youth, that seem to make a lot of sense. In our youth that seem to be the right way. And yet, most of us who are a little bit older, have a little bit more gray in our hair, have a little bit more experience in life, we come to terms with that, don't we? Not every, good deci- not every decision that we think is good in our youth ends up being good. So he thought it was a good idea. His peers applauded him. His actions, they patted him on the back and said, you're doing the right thing, pal. Keep on going. You see, when he became his own God, he devised his own religion. He developed his own truth, even though that truth ran counter to the Father's truth. He lived his life without any absolutes. Whatever felt good, that's exactly what he did. Is this sounding familiar to anybody or am I just alone in this? this, I mean, seriously, is this resonating at all? Again, I believe that Jesus is showing something about ourselves. He's modeling where our country is heading and the choices that we continue to make. So let me illustrate. As I've already discussed, America is blessed. We've been blessed by a good-natured, good-willed father. However, I believe that that 
when you go back through the annals of time, you see sort of this tipping point in America. And that tipping point happened in 1962. 1962. Years before I was even born. But there are some of you that remember 1962 really well. Years before I was born. Do you know what happened in 1962? Most theologians, most scholars believe that was a tipping point when we began to see America teeter-totter a little bit. It was the year that prayer went out of schools. It was the year that prayer went out of schools. And one year later, in 1963, the Supreme Court banned Bible reading and overturned state law banning the teaching of evolution. And so since 1963, this is just, these are statistics you can go online and find them yourselves. And since 1963, pregnancies in girls ages 15 to 19 rose 187% in 15 years. Before 1963, divorce rates had been declining. They had been declining for 15 years. And yet after 1963, divorces increased 300% for the next 15 years affecting generations. Since 1963, unmarried people living together is up 353%. Since 1963, single-parent families are up 140%. Since 1963, single-parent families with multiple children is up 160%. Since 1963, violent crimes across America has increased 544%. Guys, I don't know. I'm just giving you the numbers. But there seems to be a direct correlation here of something that we're missing. George Washington said it's impossible to rightly govern the world without God and without the Bible. Our 13th president, Calvin Coolidge, said this, the foundation of our society and our government rests so much on the teachings of the Bible that it would be difficult to support them if, if faith in these teachings should cease. Here's an interesting bit of information. In 1836, the state of North Carolina said this in their constitution. No person who shall deny the being of God or the truth of the Christian religion shall be capable of holding any office or place or trust or profit. In 2 Timothy 3, 16, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what's wrong with our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and it teaches us to do what is Teaches us to do what is. So we have now kicked the Bible out of everything in society. And so guess what we are missing in America? The last line. The reason why our country teeter-totters is because our, our, we have no compass anymore. We've got no defined uh, a place where we can go to figure out what is right. And so we're left to, our, left to our own devices to discover what that truth is. Our country is grown numb to the yearly American infant genocide. Recently, we, we've seen that 3,000 abortions are committed every single day in the United States of America. I'm thankful, by the way, that our, our state has now limited that. I think that's great. I'm happy to stand here and say that. As someone who's adopted a child, I'm very thankful that our state has said, nope, no more. And I applaud all the other states that have done the exact same thing. I really do. Thank you, Joey. Praise the Lord. Our country is a country of debtors. 
The, Congre- the Congressional Budget Office estimates that interest payments on our debt alone will take up 30 per- 36% of the budget in 2030, 58% in 2040, and 85% in 2050. All of this, all of these social problems that we're having, all of the redefining of what a relationship and what a marriage looks like and who it can be with, all of the issues of abortion, all of the issues that we're facing today, all of this is happening to a wild applause in our society and through our media. It's a terrible thing. We've tossed God, the author of every blessing this country enjoys, out seemingly. We've departed from our Father. Our country is its own God. We're the author of our own truth. We engage in the same reckless living as the Son. Yet if you look at TV, social media, people seem pretty excited about it all. And sometimes I feel like I'm the only one that's not excited about it all. Even professing professing Christian disregard God's word and take a broad path to destruction. I think sometimes... Our country lives out Romans 1.25. They traded the truth about God for a lie, so they worshiped and served the things of God, created instead the, the creator himself who is worthy of eternal praise. So what happens next for the son? First, he's blessed. We see this abundance. Then we see his abuse. He takes his blessings and he squanders them on reckless living. Now we see his abandonment, which is the terrible thing. This is, and it will get better. Don't worry. It, this will come back to being positive, okay? This will get better. So here we have the son. He's expended all of his blessings in an unwise manner. He is no longer in the presence of the father. He is no longer under the father's protection and security. He's all alone and trouble is coming in a big way. A famine occurs. And so now this young man is starving. He's starving. And so he does what any Hebrew would never do. He works for a pig farmer and he begins to be jealous of pigs. Man, the pigs have more food than I have to eat. And so he longs to fill his stomach with what these gross, dirty, religiously unclean animals are eating, and that's what he begins to do. Again, we see a direct correlation between the son and our country. Both are blessed. Both have abused blessings. And, and by the way, some of us, I do, I find this offensive. Some, some of us, including me, might balk at the idea of God abandoning our country. Does that offend you? It offends me. Yet, that mentality of believing that God would never abandon our country is not a biblical thought. If you were to read the Old Testament scripture, you'll happen upon God's people, the Israelites. And like America, Israel is very blessed as well. Like America, Israel often squandered those blessings and lived recklessly worshiping other gods and chasing after other nations. And they had all types of crimes and they broke all kinds of laws. They broke their covenant and promise with God. And time and time again, God left the Israelites to be oppressed and conquered. God did this out of discipline to love them. It's a frightening thing to think about that, frightening to think that our country might be abandoned by God. Now, I will say, do I think God has abandoned our country? Absolutely not. No, 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 not at all. But are we heading there? Are we going that direction? The passages that you can find throughout Scripture, they relate 
to the Israelites, and I believe that they also relate to us. I think it's relevant to talk about these things because I'm going to try to show you from the passage today that it's pretty convincing that God may be getting fed up with our country. C.S. Lewis was writing his book, The Problem with Pain, one of my favorite books, by the way. He said this, The lost enjoy forever the horrible freedom that they have demanded and are therefore self-enslaved. God will abandon sinners eventually in their own choices and the consequences of those choices. Just like he did with Israel, he could do it with us. And scripture more directly confronts this abandonment and consequences than Roman 1, than Roman 1 does. Here is the most graphic and most comprehensive discussion of what it means to be abandoned by God. And it's the best passage that I know of to explain the moral chaos and the confusion that we experience in our own nation at this very time. If you drop down to Romans chapter 1, verse 24, and verse 26, it says in verse 24, God gave them over. And in verse 26, God gave them over. And in verse 28, in the middle of the verse, God gave them over. Three times we have this statement in Romans chapter 1 that God gave each of them over to themselves. If God is letting them go, to the un, un, uninterrupted cause and effect of their, their sinful choices, then God could do the very same thing to us. And when his judgment falls, there is a depriving of restraining grace and sin that runs rampant through our society, sin that is both, uh, sin that is both the cause and this effect and this next cause and effect and goes on and on and on and on. And we've seen that all the way back from 1962, 1963, we've got this generational sin gap that's occurring our country. So that's really bad news, okay? We've got a real positive point, number one, two, and three, fairly negative, okay? It's not all roses and sunshine, but thankfully we have point four. Thankfully we have point four. In Hosea chapter five, verse 15, it says, I will return again to my place until they acknowledge their guilt and see my face and in their distress earnestly seek me, which is exactly what this kid does. Man, he comes to his senses. So we have a nation's abundance, abuse, abandonment, and then we have a nation's about face. Remember when I said, by the way, it's really hard for a, na for a, a business who's reached a tempered point of profitability, who's now in decline to regain that and come back? It's very, very difficult. And yet, if you go to the Bible, you see this occur. It, it actually occurs in the nation of Israel. You have a, a nation that's blessed, and they are on the rise. And then they start worshiping their own blessings, and they start breaking all kinds of laws. And they, they leave their covenant and promise, and they get on decline. And then what do they do? They get to that place where they say, okay, enough's enough. We got to get back to God. And all of a sudden, they boost back up again. It happens. And it can happen here as well. So what happens next to the son, Scripture tells us that he came to his senses. He knows that, he merely, that if he just merely returns to his father, that his father would take him back as a worker. So he sets out back to the father, and from a long distance, the father recognizes his son, and he runs out to meet him. And the father re restores him back to the place. He gives him clothes to wear, shoes. He gives them a, the ring, which is symbolic of the family. He puts him back in his place, and that the son who was once lost is now found, and the son who was once hungry is now full 
He recognized his sin before the Father. He's remorseful. He's repentant because the Father is a good and he's good-natured. He accepts the wayward son back again. Again, we have this great picture of Israel, blessed, abusing the blessing, abandoned them. God abandoned them to their own desires, and then they returned to the loving Father. There's so many beautiful scriptures. Jeremiah chapter 4, verse 1. Oh, Israel, says the Lord, if you wanted to return to me, you could. You could throw away your detestable idols and stray away no more. Second Chronicles 7, 14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and what? Pray. If they will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I, then I will hear them from heaven and will forgive them and heal their land. So friends, this morning, I, I want to encourage you. Now, I know as a, as a group of, I don't know, 500 of us in here today, uh, we're a small microcosm of the American society. We are. A small microcosm of a larger society. But you know, turning our country around starts really with me and you. Turning our country around starts really right here with me and you, making some really critical individual decisions. Individual decisions that look like Jesus. I would love us, by the way, to see, to see our, us be way more compassionate, a way more compassionate people who don't just care for the hurts of the people that are in our sphere of influence, but who care for a global problem as well. There are lots of people that are hungry, starving, people that are suffering and dying, that we have the opportunity that we could help those people. We could, and we should. We absolutely should. We should help people. We, we should be more compassionate, not just to one another, but to everyone. We should be more prayerful. And friend, I, I hope that you spend time praying for our country. I hope you spend more time praying for those folks that are in leadership. I hope that you spend more time praying for our president. Lord knows he needs it. I hope that you spend time praying for our vice president. I hope that you spend more time praying for our Congress. I hope that you spend more time praying for members who are a part of the Republican Party and, by the way, the Democrat Party. I hope that you spend equal amounts of time praying for these people that God will influence them to make good, wise, godly, just decisions. There is so much bickering that's going on. And we don't need bickering. We need people to work together. And we can brawl that divide, that we, can, we can bring that divide together if we pray. We have to be faithful. My friend, do you know that God's in control? God is in control. And God's going to have his way. We have to be truthful. We have to stand for truth, speak the truth in love, as we know that speaking truth is always love. We must be careful. We must watch out where the next line is being drawn. I, I miss the days. You know, one of the greatest years of my life was 1985. Boy, I miss 1985. Times were simpler in 1985. I was telling my kids the other day, boy, I didn't have a cell phone. And they're like, what? Wow, you were poor. <laughs> my son the other day, he said, Dad, what was it like living with black and white TV? And I was like, son, I'm... I'm 40. I don't, I didn't, we didn't have black and white TV in those days. But 1985, you remember all the problems we had in 1980? A lot of the things that we believed in 1985 gone away. There's always going to be another line to be drawn. We've got to be careful. We've got to be hopeful. Friend, all is not lost. 
if this son can do what he did, go and do crazy things, and yet still come back, do you believe, do you believe that God can still influence our society in a positive way today? Do you believe that? I do. I really do. I believe it. Friends, it's not too late for America. I believe as an American, and I'm thankful and grateful for all the men and women that afford us the freedoms that we have today. I don't believe that God has abandoned us. I believe that we're walking on a very thin tightrope, though. And I think that if we can turn back to the Lord, I think our nation, its best days are ahead of them. But let me just say this one last thing and we'll close. Friend, a politician is not going to save America. It's just not. A party is not going to save America either. The only thing that's going to lead us down the road I think that we probably should be on is God's word and our connection to Christ. The only thing that's going to save us is Jesus, friends. And I hope that you put your hope and your trust in him before you put your hope and trust in anybody, any human being, including me. Put your hope in Christ. Would you bow your head? Lord Jesus, we come before you today and we want to thank you for this great land. We want to thank you for these great people. We want to thank you for our great freedoms. Lord, we are so thankful. You've been so good. Father God, today I pray that you will help us to live in the light of your grace and the shadow of your mercy. Lord, thank you that we are a blessed people and we know that those blessings come from you. Lord, today forgive us and draw us back. Lord, we do pray for our leaders. We pray for those that are senators. We pray for those that are in the House of Representatives. We pray for those uh, that are in the Trump administration. We pray for uh, Mike Pence. We pray for Donald Trump. We pray, Lord, that these men and women will make decisions that are not just good decisions, but godly decisions. Influence them to love people and have a heart for those that are hurting. Father, today we pray for those members that are in the Republican Party making decisions. We pray that for folks that are in the Democratic Party. Father, we pray that you will somehow, some way, bring these people together so that they can make good, wise, influential decisions that will affect people in a positive way. And Father, I pray for people that are trying to get into our country. I pray that you will minister to them, that you will love. Thanks again for tuning in to today's podcast, and we hope to see you again on Sunday morning. Of course, you can also watch our services live on YouTube. Simply search Eastern Shore Baptist Church on YouTube, and at 10.05, our broadcast starts. We hope to see you soon. God bless you. And again, visit our website, www.myesbc.net. God bless you, and we'll see you next week.